Welcome to the Wayside Podcast. I'm Robert Killingsworth. The audio for this episode comes from a sermon that was given during one of our Sunday services. We hope you are encouraged and inspired by today's word. Thank you for being here today. Uh, My name is Jim Jackson, and I'm a broken-down Methodist preacher, uh, which... uh, in case you don't know, Methodists are, uh, are um, sort of low-class Episcopalians. Uh, and I've been hanging out here for several years, and I'm grateful for this church. If you've ever been around the church much at all, you, you've heard this story. This is not, uh, not anything new to you. Um, but when, when I was thinking about how can we talk about uh, responding to people with, with care and with love, I, I thought about this story. It's about a lawyer uh, who was not the kind of lawyer that hung out in Jerusalem in a courtroom and was in a corner office. It's about an expert in the law. Someone who, whose expertise was the Jewish law. He comes to Jesus and he sort of sends a mixed signal. He, he, he comes with respect. He stands before Jesus. He calls him rabbi. Uh, you're an equal to me. And then he, he asks the question, the trick question. Uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus was a lot nicer than me. I, I would have said, that's a stupid question. Uh, you, you can't do anything to inherit anything. I don't know if you've ever had been remembered in a will, but uh, it, I had it happen to me one time many years ago. I had an had a, a distant relative, kind of an aunt, who lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and she left me $5,000. I'd only met her once. Uh, she just looked at her, her family tree and found my name and left me $5,000. It, it was amazing. If I had mowed her grass every Friday afternoon, I, I, I would have sort of expected maybe to be remembered with... Uh, you know, some little knickknack or something, but to to have her get it, I didn't deserve that. I mean, you don't earn an inheritance; you're given an inheritance, and an inheritance like eternal life. Uh, you don't earn that. You don't achieve that. You don't deserve that. It's just given to you. So it was really kind of a stupid question, but Jesus was nicer than I was. He, he recognized that the guy was not asking the question because he wanted an answer. He wanted to make a point. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done that before. I, I confess that I have. Uh, ask a question when you didn't really want an answer, you just wanted to give an insight, you know, or either catch somebody in a stupid statement or something. That's what's going on here. And Jesus says, yeah, well, you're an expert in the law. What do you think? And he answered with the two great commandments. 
You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might and all your strength and your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> You've heard that all your life, right? Uh, <laughs> let me tell you the, the backside of that. The backside of that is these are the two greatest sins. If they are the two greatest commands, they are the two greatest sins. Not doing them is really bad. And let me just tell you, you and I have neither one done either one of those to the fullest extent expected for any five waking minutes of our lives. To love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself? Wow. Let me tell you, it, it, the, the expectation was not that you'll, you know, you want to get above the curve. You know, nobody does it right, but you know, it, it, not much is really expected of you. You can kind of live your life the way you want to. Don't worry about it too much if you fail. No, no, no. The expectation was that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is the first call on your time and on your money and on your talent. You are to love your neighbor the way you love yourself. That's a big deal. Now... Jesus lets him go. He just says, do it, and you'll live. Now, the tense in the Greek is very important. It's present imperative. Keep doing it. This is not like one and done. <laughs> yeah, I did it once. I remember a time when I did that. No, no, no. You are to continually do this. Do this, and you'll live. He must have felt what I'm feeling today, a little overwhelmed. He's looking for an escape clause. He says, well, who is my neighbor? That is a good question. He wants to do what all of us want to do. We want to know, you know, who is it okay not to love? I have a friend who says, you know, I really love God. I just don't like people. <laughs> uh, you can't do that. <laughs> who is my neighbor? Who is it okay for me not to love? People with, uh, with uh, a lot of earrings stuck everywhere or uh, tattoos, right? What about Republicans or uh, Democrats, you know? I love the, the, the words from the old South Pacific song. You got to be taught before it's too late. Before you were six or seven or eight, to hate all the people your relatives hate, you got to be carefully taught. You know, who is it that it's okay for me really not to like? People that go to A&M or, or UT or uh, people that... 
or from other religions or other ethnic backgrounds or people that I don't understand and people that were mean to me once. Do you realize how, how, how much impact the, this has on us? We, we all have groups of people that we just think it's okay not to love them now. Who is my neighbor? Who is it okay for me to just write off? Jesus sort of knew what he had in mind and, and told a story. There's a stretch of territory in Israel from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is straight downhill. Incidentally, if, if you read in the Bible that someone is going to Jerusalem, they're always going up to Jerusalem. And if they're leaving Jerusalem, they're always going down from Jerusalem because Jesus, uh, Jerusalem is considered to be on a mountain, Mount Zion. It's not really that tall, but nevertheless, the road to Jericho is straight. This is the perfect place to ride a bicycle. Uh, you'd never have to pedal. You just, you just get it started. And it's really neat because it goes around curves. <laughs> Perfect place to ride a bicycle. Not a very good place to go for a walk, though. Because it's got lots of nooks and crannies, and there are lots of places for thieves and robbers to hide. <laughs> and you can't see them, you know. They just come out of nowhere on you and prance on you and destroy you. <laughs> In fact, a thousand years after Jesus told this story, the, the crusaders built a, a fort halfway between Jerusalem and Jericho on this road to protect people, uh, pilgrims, um, crusaders that were making their way to and from Jerusalem. Dangerous place. This guy, probably a Jew, we, we don't know for sure, but probably a Jew, has somebody reach out and grab him, maybe a group of people, maybe one, but they beat him, they leave him nearly half dead, they, they rob him, and they take away his clothing. Now, what, what's the point of that? You can't tell if he's a Jew or not. I mean, how do you tell if someone is Jewish? <laughs> their clothing? Their speech? He was unconscious. He was nude. He was laying in a ditch somewhere. So, a priest and a Levite come by now, just a word of explanation about nobody ever as a child grew up and thought, I think I want to be clergy when I'm grown. Not if you were a Jew. Uh, you became a priest not because you felt called to priestly work, but because you were from the tribe of Levi and you were a direct descendant of Aaron. In other words, it was, a, it was, it, it was about your, your family tree. You, you didn't have a choice. If you're in the Levitical tribe, you were a Levite. If you were a direct descendant uh, from the family of Levi, but a direct descendant of Aaron, you became a priest. That's what you did. 
<laughs> so a priest came by and he sees and he passes by on the other side. Now, you can almost know why he did that, because this guy could be dead. If he's dead, you're going to be unclean. You can't do your job. Or maybe he's not dead, but he dies in your arms. (laughs) Either way, you're going to be unclean. It's going to take you two weeks Two weeks you can't do your job because you've got to go through ritual cleansing exercises. He's thinking, man, I don't have time for this. Besides, it's probably dangerous. These guys who did that to him could be around here somewhere. I I, I, got to move on. (laughs) We know a little bit about how close he probably came. Uh, the, The Bible says, you can go up to four cubics, about six feet, from someone you think might be unclean. So he stands at a distance, and he goes down the road. Probably makes a note to call the Jericho Road uh, Relief Association when he gets to town, but, uh, you know, I, I can't do this. The next one is a Levite. You know, he's sort of an assistant. He's in the family tree. He is not under the same ritual rules. He could come closer, and he did go closer. He, he is only ritually unclean. It's okay for him to be ritually unclean unless he's sort of on the clock doing his job. But he, he did, you know, this is dangerous. You've got to get out of here. So he ducks and goes away. And a Samaritan came. Now, you need to know how much they hated. Jews hated. So there was a, a rabbinic statement that it would be better for you to eat swine than to have break bread with a Samaritan. You, you can't be around them. You shouldn't know them. You shouldn't have anything to do with it. And this, this man who was hated probably by the person in the ditch stops and he goes near. He takes, he takes oil and cleans the wound. He takes wine and uses it as an antiseptic. He tears up some of his clothes. He binds up the wound. He puts the man on his donkey, which means he not only has money, he has a donkey. You're talking about somebody at risk. This guy's at risk. He puts him on his beast. He takes him to an inn. He spends the night caring for him. And the next morning, he says to the innkeeper, here are two denarii, but but enough for 10 days. Take care of him for 10 days. And when I come back this way, if I owe you more, I'll repay you. Wow. Incredible generosity. For someone that hates you. Wow. So Jesus asked, which one was the neighbor? <laughs> he can't bring himself to say the word Samaritan. Uh, the one that helped. The one that showed mercy. Go do the same. Wow. 
I don't know what that sounds like to you, but that sounds very hard to me. You know, the interesting thing about it is the New Testament makes a connection between your love for God and how you treat other people. In the fourth chapter of 1 John, John writes this, if you say you love God, but you hate your neighbor, you're a liar. Because you can't love God whom you've never seen if you don't love your neighbor whom you have seen. In one chapter earlier than that, third First John, he says this. He said, if you have the world's needs and you encounter someone in need and there is nothing that stirs your heart, how can the love of God be in you? It gets worse than that. Jesus told a story about the last judgment, and guess what he said? There's only going to be one question on the final exam. And we'll all answer that question. What have you done for the least? Now, you see, that's, that sounds easy. That's really, really hard. You, you just, for example, try to find somebody who's homeless and you say, you know what, I'm going to help that person. Just see what happens. You'll discover that they don't have any identification. It will take you months to get that worked out, uh, to help them to qualify for a job somewhere, to find a place to live, to have the proper clothing, to get the medical treatment. Let me, this is going to take you a year. Better to just say, let me write a check. And, and, and it's not like, you know, if you do this, you'll be successful. <laughs> Go ask somebody who's helped people in AA or NA to find treatment <laughs> and, and been a sponsor to them. Go ask them what their success rate is. It's complicated. It's very complicated to help people. And it's so easy to, to kind of uh, become codependent, to do too much, to overfunction, to make them dependent on us because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> The Good Samaritan did not invite this guy to come home with him and live from then on. He didn't say, I want to provide for you from now on. He just, this is hard. This is very, very hard. But you know what? We do not have a choice. Can we do this Effectively, easily, can, can we all do it to the same extent? No. But you can't say, you know, I really want Jesus as my Savior, but I, I really don't want to care. It costs too much. It's too inconvenient for me. I just don't have time. Let me write a check. Uh, what we do not have 
an opportunity to do is to lower the standards. So what, how do we do this? We, Jesus says, we're to feel something. To feel compassion. When someone stirs our heart, when some need stirs our heart, we're to respond with action. It's hard to feel. If you live in a culture that bombards you with needs every day on television, you know, there's this animal, these people make you cry because you see the animals, that, the, 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 the people, the, the, the little children, look how abused they are, look how needy they are. They need us, you know, the, the people that are, you know, challenged because of their military service. And we, we, we're, we have it in our face every day. And it's so easy for us to just go cold, to not feel anything. The Good Samaritan felt compassion. The word compassion meant his gut ate. And when you can walk around and your gut doesn't ever ache, because of the, the need and the, the wounds of the people around you, something's wrong. And when you can't respond, you don't want to respond. You don't want to be involved. You don't want to get hurt. You, you, you. Some of the people who are the people in the ditch who we most need to respond to are right under our nose. We all look good here today, don't we? Look like we're all just normal. Well, let me tell you what I know. There are people in this room that are wounded and are hurting and are lonely and are depressed and are up against it and are having a terrible time. And... and if we had eyes to see, we would be able to recognize that people sitting around us are bleeding all over us. Can we see and feel? Other people, we got to go looking for them because we build roads around so we don't see those people. We build institutions so we won't. When's the last time you went to a nursing home to see people that were in Medicaid and thrown away and never visited by their family members because they have nothing to give them? My intention today is to help you open your eyes and see and feel and respond. And anyone who is in your field of vision that is hurting 
and you have the means to help them. You are called to help them. Not picking up the call phone and calling the priest. Do this and you will live. Thanks for listening. The Wayside Podcast is a ministry of St. Martin's Episcopal Church in Houston, Texas. It was created by Ryan Presley and the Reverend Wesley Arning. It is executive produced by Robert Killingsworth. The theme music was written and recorded by Robert Killingsworth. If you're interested in life at St. Martin's, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at St. Martin's Episcopal Church.